Welcome uh, to Blue Water. Uh, my name is, is Jordan. Uh, we were uh, a little late arriving. I feel like it was a little bit of a low energy worship time, so we got to get our blood pumping. We have to get our energy up. So let's uh, let's uh, let's energize and peace out at the same time. So why don't why don't you turn to somebody and give them uh, a faith exhortation? Our exhortation this morning will be. Uh, uh, just be yourself. Just be yourself, man. So tell someone, hey, just be yourself. It's, like, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Just be yourself. Make sure everybody in the room gets bothered. Yeah, just be yourself. All right, now we'll do a warm-up question. Following on that, now that we've broken some social barriers, we'll break some mental barriers. Um, uh, it's kind of a complicated question. I'm going to have to think, so crack your knuckles and scratch your scalp. Here we go. What does it take to be yourself? What's, what's the best way to be yourself? What's involved with that? What does it take to be yourself? You're going to just be yourself today. What does that require? I'll give you eight seconds to think about it. All right, you brilliant people, what does it take to be yourself? Interesting question. What, is, what are your interesting answers? Go. Confidence. All right, so the obvious question is confidence in what, Steve? Confidence in what you're doing is pleasing to God and, and people. Boy, that is kind of an interesting question. I, I got like six follow-on questions to that, but that's really good. Confidence that what you're doing is pleasing to God and to people. Yeah. What did, was it you? Yeah. Vulnerability. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. Yes, sir. Uh, Self-awareness. Self now, that's, that's a good word. That's one of those great hyphen words. <laughs> Self-awareness. You have to be aware of you and what's going on in you and stuff like that. That's interesting. That's kind of provocative in a different way. What else? Yeah. The free from fear. Yeah, if you have confidence in what you're doing is pleasing God and people, then maybe be free from fear that you're displeasing God and people or something like that. We could play with that and, and, and make that an interesting exercise. Yeah. Consistency between your uh, public and your private self and your secret self. Yeah. Consistency. You need to be consistent to be yourself. Yeah, so there's a lot wrapped up in that answer as well. You guys are uh, got all sorts of little interesting insights. Jen. Humility. Interesting. I always say that, that humility is a very close cousin of confidence and vice versa. And we could play with that. I think I've probably preached on that. But yes, hot Chinese chick in the front row. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, as a yes and, I think self-awareness self and self-forgetfulness, which is a great trick. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. There we one or two more. Yeah, Beth. 
You guys just want to talk? Because I just go get some coffee. Just be. If you want to be yourself, then just be. True. Yeah. But it's like uh, being and versus doing or thinking or overthinking. There's a lot there probably that you mean. What was it? What was it Anna, last one. Ditching comparison. No comparing. No comparing. No coveting. As uh, the Ten Commandments says. No comparing. No envy. Interesting. All right. Really great questions. Um, do you think about that question a lot? Just being yourself? Yeah. I, I think that those sorts of identity questions are pretty popular. I think they're very current in our culture. They're certainly current in our educational system. I think they're current in a lot of ways that uh, even the gospel gets preached uh, these days. Um, and, uh, you know, probably we've all had occasion to think about the question, like, you know, what do I have to do to be myself? Well, who is myself? <laughs> you know, who am I? When I, I this, there are a lot of important connected questions there. Um, if you're worried about yourself, which is to say if you're thinking about your self-image, if you're thinking about, oh, I don't know, how to fit in, uh, what your place is, and all of those identity questions that we often seem to obsess about, typically I think you are given two pieces of advice in our world. And the first piece of advice is, you know, just be yourself, you know. Just, just be you, man. And the second piece of advice is don't be self-conscious. Don't be, right? That's one that you hear. Don't, don't think about yourself too much. So just be yourself, but don't think about yourself too much. As we had, like, be self-aware and, and be self-forgetful. You might notice that those two things are contradictory, um, which should provoke you right there. I think really the second one is more correct at least in an operational way. I think if you're going to be yourself, you have to forget yourself. You have to think very, very little uh, about yourself uh, directly, directly. And I, I think this is probably more true than I understand. I think it's probably more true than you understand. And it is a fundamental Jesus teaching. If you're a rookie and don't know this, Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you have to lose your life. And if you uh, lose your life, then you will find your life, depending on which gospel version uh, that you're reading. If you want to save yourself, you must die to yourself. Some of the modern translations put it that way. And if you die to yourself, you'll save yourself. Um, which is an extraordinary thing to say, but absolutely fundamental to Christ's teachings. And he repeats the theme in different ways and different teachings. You know, pick up your cross daily and follow me. If you want to live, then you must die and stuff like that. Everybody's staring over there. Is there like a really interesting painting going on this morning? Is that what's happening? Yeah. They're more colorful than I am. This is really interesting stuff, guys. Focus. Death, death to self. <laughs> no, that's way cooler. Far more entertaining. Um, I think uh, 
extreme uh, humility. As someone said, extreme humility is required for strength and freedom in, in this world, certainly for spiritual strength and freedom in this world. You can't be yourself unless you die to yourself. That is a fundamental Christian uh, teaching. And I think it reflects a universal element of design in the universe, that element being love, right? You only discover yourself by loving others, loving God, loving people, and love equals sacrifice. No greater love has this. A man laid down his life for his friends, said Christ. Um, you know, when you give yourself away, um, then you discover uh, who you are. And that has to do with the nature of love, which is what makes the world go round. Um, I do this little meditation to start our discussion this morning in order to make two points uh, to you. One is that uh, true wisdom can be very counterintuitive, right? I mean, this whole thing like, well, you want to be yourself, then stop thinking about yourself. Uh, you want to know who you are, then prioritize everyone else. You want to save your life, you have to lose your life. Like, you don't roll out of the crib when you're a kid and just know those things. Um, it needs to be worked out with a little bit of discipline. Can I say discipline? Right? With a little bit of self-discipline and, and learning and changefulness. Can I say that? Does that make sense? So wisdom can be very counterintuitive. And, and number two, personal growth is hard. You know? If the fundamental Jesus teaching is, yeah, well, if you want to save your life, then you have to die. All right. Let's take a step back and unpack that a little bit. Because that sounds effortful. You know, that sounds, oh, dare I say, a wee bit painful, a wee bit sacrificial, again, a wee bit disciplined. So wisdom is counterintuitive, and therefore, partly, personal growth is really, is really hard. So, if we are aware human beings, uh, I think we have to admit that we might be vulnerable to deception and being fooled. Right? If wisdom is counterintuitive and personal growth is hard, that kind of says that, oh, so you have to be a wee bit careful, don't you? Um, because uh, if things are counterintuitive, confusing, and hard, it makes it easy for me to deceive you. It makes it easy uh, for you to be uh, deceived. In fact, it's so counterintuitive and so hard that you might find yourself a deceiver. Right? If you misunderstand, if you take something the wrong way, if you embrace something wrong, if your path is a bit skewed, then, given the way you influence people in the world, you might be a deceptive person uh, in the world. And of course, that would be terrible, wouldn't it? Because life is supposed to have purpose and meaning. Uh, that's one of the benefits of having a creator God. And, um, and we find meaning by being salt and light in the world, right? By being a godly influence on the planet. That's another fundamental Jesus teaching. And if instead of being a godly influence, we were deceptive, so deceived that we deceived people, <laughs> um, then that, of course, would be a great tragedy. Uh, and it's in that spirit uh, that we are doing this new sermon series. Uh, and uh, the new sermon series is called Helping the devil, or how to help the devil, because I know you're all very interested in that. And, and I want to talk about something I, I know about, because I don't get to do that very often. 
and, uh, and I think I'd be a great devil. I think I'd be a great uh, devil. Um, so I feel some authority in speaking on this uh, topic. Um, the idea is that I teach you how to be a really great devil. I teach you how to be excellent deceivers of people. Do you like it so far? Yeah. Um, and in so doing, right, you learn how not to be a devil, right? Because I make you wise and aware of all of the devil's tricks, all of the deceptions that we so easily fall into, that, that so easily make us destructive when in fact we kind of want to be constructive uh, in, in the world. Um, Jesus um, describes uh, the problem of life more often than not as a matter of lies, falsehoods, and deceptions. You might know this verse from uh, the Gospel of John. Jesus is talking to uh, a group of religious leaders of the day. They didn't have this word back then, but you might call them influencers, right? These are guys that had all the following online. Uh, they were Pharisees and Sadducees and people like that. They're people that really dedicated their life to... to uh, to religion, right? to uh, the, the traditions of the one true God, and they were really trying to lead their nation into a better place. You have to understand this about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests of Jesus' day. They were really trying to lead their nation into a better place. Um, they were in a situation of great, we would call it social injustice, they were occupied by the Romans. They had basically been beat up by every country in the region for, at that point, 500 straight years. So uh, the idea was, well, let's really be godly, and then God will help us out, right? And sort of restore justice in our land. That was the idea. And yet, uh, Jesus found himself arguing with these guys a lot. And he says to them, rather famously in John chapter 8. You, he's saying to these religious influencers, you belong to your father, the devil. That's nice. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. And it's interesting that Jesus equates, to do, equates the two. Not holding to the truth equals murder uh, in his mind, which is... Bracing. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, which is a great insult. Uh, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's the famous phrase that everybody knows. Satan is the father of lies. Uh, yet because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Jesus goes on to complain uh, in, in the next verse. Um, he, again, he said this to, to, to spiritual influencers and says, well, really, you're deceived and really you're following the father of lies who kills people by getting them to believe his lies. And, and, and indeed, as he was explained elsewhere, as the Bible says elsewhere, it's not enough for the devil to tempt you to do bad things. That's actually not his main game. What he tries to do is to get you to believe that bad things are good things. That's his game, right? 
his game is to keep you from being an agent of light and to make you being an agent of darkness without realizing you're an agent of darkness, which was the problem that the Pharisees uh, were having. Uh, Paul says it uh, this way uh, to uh, the Corinthians in uh, uh, his second letter to them. Uh, this is another verse that I bet a lot of you know. Um, <clears throat> when describing uh, the way that Satan is deceptive and people get fooled, uh, he says, and it's no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Did you know that verse? Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So he's not trying to call you to darkness per se. He's trying to call you to a false sort of light, a false sort of enlightenment, a false sort of illumination. And that's always been uh, his game. Uh, Jesus would say in the Gospels, if, if the light in your eye is actually darkness, then how great is the darkness inside you, right? If what you take to be true is a lie, then you are dead in the water, right? Then you're really messed up. So if you're doing something wrong and you know you're doing something wrong, we can work with that. If you're believing something wrong and you don't even realize it, then we've got trouble, right? It's very complicated. You follow me so far? Everybody say, you're way more interesting than that painting. <laughs> give me a little love. Give me a little help. Thank you. Thank you. We'll talk later. Uh, so the devil's goal is basically uh, to uh, get you to behave like a, like a demon when you think you're behaving like an angel. And in this series, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of make it more plain as best I can because I'm so good at being a devil. Um, I, I, I understand uh, what's going on, so I'm going to act like a devil consciously uh, and discussing my strategies as we go. I'm such a great uh, deceiver. And you might recognize this ploy uh, from the work of the famous Christian author C.S. Lewis who wrote the book Screwtape Letters. How many of you have read it? 30%, 40%. So uh, this was a book written in the uh, 1942, or maybe it was immediately, 45, immediately post-war, but a long time ago. <clears throat> and uh, the characters of the book, it's sort of a, it's sort of a parody, sort of a farce, uh, is uh, the, there's this senior devil in hell writing advice to his nephew devil. Right, devil called Screw Tape, and uh, and the senior devil is just telling uh, his young protege um, how best to deceive the world. And the genius of the book is that the deceptions were not obvious, right? They're, they're all the sorts of subtleties and little tricks, and you know the little tricks of humanisms and you know and false modernisms and stuff like that that deceive people without people realizing that they're they're even uh, being uh, deceived. Uh, so uh, that's what I'm going to try and do. Um, I'm going to try to act like a devil. I'm really good at it. Um, I shared this with my Ohana group on Wednesday. And I said, oh, I'd be a really good devil. And immediately they all said, yeah. <laughs> they came up with a new name for me. <laughs> new nickname, yeah. You should own it. They said, yeah, you're like a sociopastor. 
that's my Ohana group. These are my people. These are the people that walk with me through my life on a weekly basis in my home, eating the food I prepare. Yeah. Not a, you're not a, the angel said, you're not like a real pastor. You're a sociopastor. One thing I've thought about a lot over the years uh, is that, I, you know, in my defense, to my credit, I think I'm, I think I'm quite insightful uh, with respect to people. I think I, I see people really accurately. You know, sometimes I see people better than they see themselves. I'm pretty good at, at uh, peering into people's hearts, into their spirits, understanding their thought processing, things like that. I've always had a knack for it, and after all of these decades in ministry, I think I've, I've polished uh, my skills uh, quite well. And in the course of doing that, people coming to me with their problems and weaknesses are coming to me with a problem and I figure out the weaknesses and the stuff going on behind it, right? It's kind of part of what I do as a discipler and, and a pastor. I've realized that that sort of knowledge, uh, instead of making me a healer and a discipler, could very easily make me a destroyer, right? So if I know you, here's my brag, if I know you at all, I can probably figure out exactly the right way to mess you up. Do you think that's true? So a lot of you have interacted with me. Everybody in my Ohana group thinks it's true, but I just wondered if like, it's a general uh, sentiment. Like, If you have a weak spot, if there's some tender bit in your ego, if there's something that really dogs you in life, I'm pretty sure I could find it. Right? And I'm pretty sure that I could just freak you out with it. You know? I could give you just the right passive-aggressive cutting insult that would ruin your day. No problem. No problem for me. Right, dear? No comments. No comments. I, I, would, I would be great at this. Um, I think about this a lot. I don't do it, just for the record. Uh, that's not what I do. But here's why I say that, and I have often mentioned this to people, maybe some of you. So I have, I'm good at this because uh, I've, been, you know, I've been ministering for, for some years. The devil's been doing it for millennia, right? So he's probably pretty good at it. I think his job is incredibly easy. Incredibly easy. Somebody in Ohana group, it might have been my wife, said, yeah, you know, uh, Satan's really smart. And I said, no, I don't think he's really smart. I think he's an idiot. But I think his job is really simple. Uh, and so that's lesson number one. It's easy to be a devil. It's really easy to be a devil. You don't have to be uh, a sociopastor. <laughs> you could just be human. I'm looking at you, angel. <laughs> angel. Uh, I often say that grace is the cardinal Christian virtue. And what is grace? Grace is uh, having a standard, but being really generous nonetheless. Knowing clearly what the standard is, but being really generous with how you apply it and forgive it and let it go and just sort of, you know, generosity. Generosity. Another way to say it is that grace is the combination of real truth and real love. There's truth, 
And we're not going to compromise the reality of things, but there's love. And so we're going to be generous with how we measure and apply the truth and stuff like that, right? You have to have both. So here's, here's uh, lesson number two in being a really great devil. Just do one. Just do one. That's all it takes, right? So if uh, you've got stuff going on in your life, what I could do is I could come up to you and just tell you the truth about it constantly. Oh, you're hurting? You're hurting? You need some help? It's because you're messed up. So let's spend a long time thinking about how messed up you are. And let's spend a long time discussing the standard so it's absolutely clear how you do not measure up to it. And I could do that all day long. Not a problem, right? Just facts. Just facts. I could do it on an individual basis. I could do it on a social basis. I could talk about groups. I could talk about trends. Or I could talk about you. Just talk about the truth. Endlessly. Incessantly. Spouses are really great at this with one another, right? And this tears marriages apart because the wife knows the husband really well and the husband knows the wife really, really well. And uh, it just makes for awesome arguing. Awesome arguing, right? They're like a little law firm, two little law firms fighting each other, right? Well, here's my case. Oh, I got some facts on my side. Oh, yeah, well, I hear some truth. You want some reality. Here's what the law says. And that's just, and you just, all you have to do is the one virtue. Because truth is a virtue. Love is a virtue. If you only do one, destruction happens. Isn't that great? Wait, can there be too much love? Yeah, sure. If it, if it's never, if it never has any truth in it, uh, Paul says to the Ephesians, "Love rejoices with the truth, because if you apply compassion, generosity, easiness with someone, but never tell them the truth about anything, they trust you, but you destroy them." Right? Compassion that is nothing but compassion destroys people. Right? Uh, sometimes you see this in dog owners. Yeah, yeah it's like, oh yeah, preach it, because you know what I'm going to say, right? This is so true. Uh, so you get a little dog, and the dog is so cute and so wonderful, and all you do is love your dog. They just need love. They just need love, you know? So they need a thousand treats a day. And, you know, all these toys. And so what does that do to a dog? Well, the dog gets really fat, really unhealthy, and incredibly neurotic. Incredibly neurotic. When my grandmother was alive, any of you ever visit her apartment with her little dog? Yeah, right? She, she drove that dog neurotic. Now, Nana was nothing but love, you know. Love and innuendo. She was just, she was a really interesting nonagenarian, yeah. Um, but you see all of these neurotic dogs in the world. They are not healthy beings, right? Because what does a dog need? Well, leadership, discipline, a pack, right? And, and if you find somebody who actually leads their dog and disciplines it, the dog is happy. The dog is healthy, knows its place in the world, and stuff like that. Incidentally, this could be done also with children, but I avoided that analogy because it's more sensitive, <laughs> right? If a parent gives a child no truth, no discipline, no edge, 
that child is going to be messed up. Messed up, right? Uh, but I'm not talking about that. So all you have to do is one virtue and ignore all the others. That's a great way to be a devil. Because if you do one virtue really, really well, you look virtuous. Right? It looks like you're just really loving or really truthful and wise. Right? You appear like an angel of light, even though you're just devastating people around you. So... Good job, devils. Give somebody a high five and say, oh, you're devious. You're devious. And uh, this has mostly been introductory this morning, but let's just sort of put a name to one devilish strategy that I want you all to master, right, as, as apprentice devils, as little sociopastors. Uh, this is one really dominant strategy. What I want you to do is I want you to get really good at being... Here's the phrase, and we love this phrase, spiritual but not religious. Yeah, that's actually a new category in the U.S. Census, spiritual but not religious. How many of you are spiritual but not religious? Come on, answer me honestly. Yeah. Spiritual but not religious. Yeah, how many of you are just afraid to answer me? How many of you are religious? Oh, not us. Yeah, I got one, Alex. What? Religious but not spiritual? Religious is good. It's safe, yeah. Sure. All right. Uh, but not? But not as safe. You want to be spiritual and religious? I don't understand that lady. Um, Okay, so let's talk about what religious is, because that's the dirty word, right? That's the dirty word, and that's why tons and tons of people under 50 are describing themselves this way in our country, spiritual but not religious, because religion is bad. And what is religion? Religion is a forced togetherness with an existing morality, right? So if you're religious, then you identify with a group of people, and that group of people is defined by having an existing morality, some traditional morality, some existing standard that's just sort of given, right, and that you try to ascribe to. And that is fundamentally unhealthy, right? Anyone? No? It hurts people? <laughs> it's safe to say we are a bit ambivalent. Uh, about, uh, about religion and, and what it is. A forced togetherness? Really? Look around. Would you like to be forced to hang out with these people? Well, that's what church is. Um, and an existing morality, I mean, this morality that's been handed down to us over millennia, depends how old you think the original Bible stories are, but, you know, maybe over 10,000 years. Um, but here's, whatever you think about that, here, here's, here's the cool devilish property of that phrase. Um, if you are spiritual but not religious, it can very easily equate to spirituality without sanctity. And here's what I mean by sanctity. Sanctity comes from the same word as sacrifice, which comes from the word for blood. Um, sanctity and sacrifice have to do with discipline, uh, don't they? Uh, they certainly have to do with humility, because if you are sacrificing yourself, 
uh, or bits of your life in various ways. You have to be humble. You have to be willing to be uh, lowly. Uh, when I think of the word sanctity, sacrifice, discipline, humility, I think of the word decision. Decision. You have to be able to make strong decisions, which is to say you can't be open to everything all the time, can you? You actually have to decide on something. You know what that word decision means? You know, literally, technically, where it comes from? I explained this recently. It might have been at the All Church Retreat. Um, decision uh, has the same root as the word incision, right? What is incision? Incision means cutting, scission, into something. You know, like make an incision in a, you know, in a wounded patient or incision in a, a piece of fabric or something. Decision means to cut away. Decision means to eliminate things. That's what decision means, right? If you choose the one, you eliminate the other. And if you're kind of open and relativistic, then you can't make a decision. And anyway, sanctity requires all of these things. What makes you sanctified? Well, you're sacrificing for the sake of, of something else. And if you're spiritual but not religious, I think it's a great way to just take all of the sacrifice and sanctity out of your life, right? And if I do that, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. All I want is for you to be open to everything. All I want is for you to kind of not sacrifice yourself. All I have to do is to make you not forget yourself. And then I can pretty much make you do uh, whatever I prompt you to do. I want to note the absurdity of believing in a God that you agree with and fully understand. That is an absurd thing. Would you worship a God you agreed with? Because if you worship a God you always agree with, that means you're as smart as God. And if I'm as smart as God, he does not get my worship. If I'm as smart as God, we are equals. So if you are a spiritual seeker and you're looking for a God that makes sense to you, you're already defeated. What you're looking for is a God who is real and who challenges the heck out of you because that is the nature of God, of what a God should be. Does that follow? So if you are seeking after a God, you have to assume you will be offended. Right? Otherwise, it's a false seeking. You following me? Everybody say, you're way more interesting than that painting. <laughs> Erica probably shouldn't even be up there. And yet she is. Um, a God that you fully understand um, is, is no God at all. You know, a God that you fully understand is not a God you should fully trust. Um, uh, but, uh, but I want you to believe that that's the way it works uh, as a devil. And I want to really get you to focus on believing in yourself and honoring yourself and and, well, let's not call it that. Let's call it accepting yourself. I really want you to major on self-acceptance because that sounds virtuous. That's very loving, and we can just take that and press it. It couldn't possibly be bad. And I want your spirituality to be about that 
as opposed to ascribing to something that would be challenging for you. I want you to really dedicate yourself to what you think or maybe what your group thinks um, and get a sense of belonging that way. Um, I want you to think about self-fulfillment a lot and certainly not about dying to self. You know, we can just sort of emphasize the one virtue over the other and then get you toxic. That would be really helpful. I want you to think that your own thinking, your own convictions, your own passions, your own culture, and mostly your own politics are really sacred, right? That those things are sacred to you and that to question them would be to question spirituality and question health. That's what I want you uh, to think because then it's pretty easy for me um, to uh, get you to masquerade as an angel of light. Um, if, uh, if you, to the degree that you think about self-sacrifice, death to self, changing your mind, changing your passions, I want you to believe that that would be bad religion. That would be religious in the naughty sense of the word uh, religious. And then I've got you uh, pretty well. I want you to believe in your own conscience and not in any standard beyond that. Are consciences helpful? Your moral, moral conscience, is that a helpful thing? Yeah, okay. So let's just believe that and only that and not believe that our conscience could actually be skewed in any way, that wisdom could be counterintuitive or personal growth could be hard, right? So let's just, let's just make our conscience God and not go any farther than that because if that's the case, then I can manipulate you just with an appeal to accepting self or by making you feel a little guilty about something that is very personal to you. It's really easy to be a sociopastor. Really easy. You laugh every time I say that and it's making me uncomfortable. <laughs> anyway. Certainly, spirituality is not about transcending yourself. It's not about self-sacrificing. It's certainly not about self-forgetfulness, is it? It's not about dying to self. I want, I want to make clear to everyone today, all my little protégés, that repentance is for unhealthy self-haters. Right? That sort of guilt that leads to repentance, you know, bowing down and really being cut to the quick. That stuff, I mean... Doesn't that feel a little unhealthy? A little self-hating? Doesn't sound right to me. Um, so uh, Satan loves church, loves church. Um, but he loves church without an altar, right? A church without an altar, that's a happy church, right? That's a church that is inclusive, right? For, for everyone, no altar. There's no place where you are expected to lay something down that is valuable to you, right? And so an altarless church, that's what we're after. That's what we're after. Uh, churches without altars are way better than any other structures uh, for devil's purposes. Uh, and a spiritual life without an altar is the best sort of life as far as us devils are concerned, right? And it's really, really easy 
to encourage people away from the altar. It's so easy. So easy. Encourage people well from discipline and whatnot. Um, so this is what the sociopastor suggests. Uh, what seems natural and right to you is definitely spiritual. Definitely. Right? What you've always uh, thought to be natural and right is definitely spiritual. Uh, and, and to that end, right, in order to honor that, here's something I really want to convince you with, I want to leave you with this morning. Um, it's not healthy to be with people who disagree with you. It's not healthy. I really want to convince you that disagreement equals rejection, right? Because rejection, of course, is unloving. It's sinful. And if you feel rejection, you are experiencing sin against you. And if I can get you to believe that disagreement with you is rejection of you, oh, isn't that wonderful? What a wonderful devilish world that is. So by all means, if you disagree with something, get the heck out. Get the heck out. That is great spirituality. Right? Great spirituality. How have I done as a devil? Am I good? Am I like just, it's like, I'm, am I better at being a devil or better at being a Christian? Open question. Open question. <laughs> We will, not, we will not push it uh, very, very far. I touched on some things in my devilish tutorial that I think are very current in the world uh, today, right? Some themes that I think uh, the devil is just weaving into our culture, right? Without even making a big deal about it, right? They don't even seem like religious themes, but they're certainly moral and spiritual. They're, in fact, they're kind of spiritual without religion, uh, which is just freaking awesome for us devils. Uh, anyway, food for thought. Uh, I'll end with um, that tired Christian thought that grace is really love plus truth, is really a standard plus uh, generosity. And uh, and as devils, what we want to do mostly in this day and age is we want to take the truth out of it, right? We want to take the standards out of it and, and make uh, truths and facts and, and uh, standards offensive uh, if we can. And just really major on the love because we're loving people. We're loving people. Um, but I wonder if maybe uh, there are some people here today uh, who are seeking after a God that they don't fully understand, uh, but that they can trust, uh, and are pursuing the Lord that way, and might want to get the truth back into grace, along with the love that they so desperately desire. Truth and love together, rejoicing, as Paul says. Uh, and I wonder if, you know, as I've been talking today, that pesky Holy Spirit you know, hasn't been convicting you of a truth that feels a bit sacrificial to accept. You know, maybe, maybe the Spirit is working in your heart and mind that way this morning. Maybe, I don't know, I mean, this would be crazy and kind of offensive if it happened, but maybe that pesky Holy Spirit, by 
introducing to you a truth that feels sacrificial to accept might actually be leading you to repentance. It's counterintuitive wisdom and harsh personal growth. Repentance. You know what repentance means? Metanoia, it's Greek for to have a new thought, to change your mind, to update your operating system. Um, and I, well, I wonder if you might dare uh, to, uh, to repent unto truth um, in accordance with an established God um, whose traditions have been saving lives for thousands uh, of years. So, Father God, I pray that you would send that Holy Spirit and wash away all of my devilish stratagems and um, speak to people uh, mind to mind and heart to heart. Let's have a true moment, you and God together. Father, I pray that you'd perfect your agenda for every person in the room, that we'd all be changed a little bit before we go, that we would all experience a real form of repentance, big or small, in a manner that is helpful, that frees us in humility to be both loving and truthful, to be both spiritual and religious. In Jesus' name, everybody says.